Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Podcast, presented by Canon Press. Welcome to the podcast. This is episode 233. I'm Douglas Wilson, and I'm glad you decided to join us. Like I said, just in case you turned off the wrong exit, this is the podcast. So I, I want to, uh, I'm, I'm sure I've talked about this before, but I want to talk about it again because I think it's a perennial issue. It's going to keep coming up uh, if, we, uh, if we Christians don't learn to think about it properly. I want to talk about anti Semitism. I want to talk about anti-Semitism, and I, I, this this go round. I want to begin with uh, my basic argument on uh, my basic argument against the anti-Semitic impulse. I have a hard time. I, I admittedly a hard time, and I but I don't think this is a prejudice or a, a bigoted reaction at all. So when I see people talking about the Jews in a snarky and critical way. The, it is um, impossible for me as a pastor to not hear the crackle of envy uh, in this. Now, in order, in order to believe that the Jews are, uh, you know, the international conspirators the, who are wrecking everything, destroying civilization, um, bringing us all down, doing awful things, um, you. Basically, it's one thing to say, I've identified these people as my enemy, I love my enemy, but I'm going to oppose them, as opposed to the the kind of envious crackle that I, I see, and it's not a matter of detecting minor traces of it, it's just, it's just all over. And I think this is about the most anti-gospel frame of mind uh, possible for, um, for this reason. In Romans, the Apostle Paul uh, says that his strategy is I, I I'll just collapse down to a, a sort of a condensed version of what I think the Pauline strategy is. The Apostle Paul is interested in establishing and building the new Israel, the new Israel of God. This new Israel of God includes Jew and Gentile alike, and Paul wants the new Israel of God to be living under the Deuteronomic blessings. He wants the Gentiles to be blessed by the gospel in such a way as to provoke the Jews to jealousy. He wants the Jews to be provoked. Why is this upstart Israel un- living under the Deuteronomic blessings when we, were the, when we were Israel first? We were the first Israel. Why is the second Israel doing so well? And Paul's strategy is to provoke his kinsmen to jealousy. And he knew that the Jews were a highly talented and competitive people, and he knew that they were a people upon whom this strategy would work. All right, so if you have a Gentile nation that is under the blessing of God, a Gentile nation under the blessing of God, that is going to provoke the Jews to, gen- to envy, to, to rivalry. What anti-Semitism does is it flips the script. Um, Anti-Semitism, well, uh, let me back up. I said earlier that the Jews were a talented and uh, ambitious people, 
And so someone's going to say, see, um, you've got this George Soros character behind the scenes, made a billion dollars and is using his money to destroy our way of life. See, and he's doing that because he is a Jew. And I'd say, I see. And is this world-class violinist, is he doing that because he's a Jew? Or is this chess master, is he doing that because he's a Jew? I would say yes. So uh, I would say yes, there are talented people. Uh, if you if you look at the percentage of the world's population that is Jewish, and then you look at the number of patents and inventions and uh, award Nobel Prizes and all of that, uh, let's just say the Jews are, receive a disproportionate number of the accolades. Now, the envious person wants to say, they, aha, yes, they're doing that because they cheat. <laughs> they're they're cheating, and they're cheating because they're, when they do good things, they're cheating, and when they do bad things, they're revealing a true character, and I hate them. Uh, that sort of thing, I think, is anti-gospel, anti-Pauline. It's, an, it's just ungodly. Um, now, this is not to say that the, I'm not a dispensationalist. I believe that Jews must believe in Christ if they want their sins washed away, if they want to be forgiven, if they want to go to heaven when they die. They have to turn to Christ. Christ is the Messiah of Israel. And, and Israelites cannot be saved unless they receive their own Messiah. And Christ is that Messiah. In short, I believe that Jews must become Christians. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that Jews are okay um, apart from Christ. I'm saying that if they're outside of Christ, then all the um, accomplishments they make that are good for society, are a blessing for society, are simply vainglory and don't contribute to their own personal salvation. And when they, uh, they turn to the dark side because they are outside of Christ, then because they're talented, they're going to be doing a lot of damage. So I believe that on, in the civic realm, Jews have done a lot of damage. And in the civic realm, Jews have done a lot of good because they are very talented people and they need Christ. Whether they're making good civic contributions or bad ones, they're talented and they need Christ. It's that simple. It's not hard. Uh, so I would say to every Gentile who is attracted to some alt-right form of anti-Semitism, I would say, forget the Jews for a minute and deal with your envious heart. So continuing on with the podcast, episode 233, as we continue our tour of the great sin museum called Hamartiology, we come across this entry. The word is ekpipto, ekpipto, E-K-P-I-P-T-O, ekpipto, and most of the time it means to fall. There are places in the New Testament where there is no sin involved, as when chains fall away, for example, when Peter is released from prison by the angel. His chains fall off, and this word this word is used. But contextually, it can clearly refer to sin. Okay, contextually, it can refer to sin. One example is found in Galatians, Galatians five four. Christ has Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. So, if someone attempts if someone attempts to uh, earn their justification by conforming to the law. Paul says they've fallen from grace. And the thing that makes the falling a sin is what they're falling from. So if they're in a state of grace and they fall from grace, then it's a sin to fall from grace. It's a sin to fall from grace because you're supposed to stand in the grace that you've received. 
A very similar sin is found in Second Peter. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Here, the falling is from previous steadfastness. So the in Galatians, they were in grace before and they fell from grace. Here, they were steadfast before and they fell from their steadfastness, which would be a sin. It's a sin to fall from steadfastness. It's a sin to fall from grace. Then in Revelation, remember therefore from whence, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. That's Revelation two, five. Okay, so um, remember what you've fallen from, and repent. So they were this uh, church was previously established, they were previously sound, they were previously in a good place, and they have fallen from that good place. So in all of these cases, falling from grace, falling from steadfastness, and falling from their earlier stable position in Christ, these are all sins. Now there's one place where ekpipto is translated as take no effect instead of fall. This is an odd construction because it is not as though Scripture could sin, which is precisely Paul's point when he uses it this way. Um, In Romans 9, 6, he says, not as though the Word of God hath taken none effect, right? If you wanted to put fall in there, it's not as though the Word of God has fallen. It's It's not as though the Word of God has stumbled the way men stumble, okay? For they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. So, of course, this is talking about a sin. It'd be a sin for the Scripture to promise something and then not perform it, not do it. And, of course, that that very idea is absurd. And so, um, don't have to worry about it, right? But it's a, it's, a, it's a different translation than the previous fallen. It's not as though the Word of God hath taken none effect. All right, so in episode 233 of the podcast, I want to review, uh, this time around, I want to review a book called The Failure of Natural Theology by Jeffrey Johnson. Okay, Failure of Natural Theology by Jeffrey Johnson. Now, uh, how shall we uh, approach this? Um, he's, uh, Jeffrey Johnson's got another uh, book out critiquing Thomas Aquinas, which I've not yet Read and this book is critiquing Aquinas, also, uh, but it's not it's not uh, doing so in the same way. And I saw uh, um, a few weeks ago, I saw that um, Johnson had provoked some outrage online because there are some Thomists out there who are prepared to go to go to the mat in defense of uh, Thomas Aquinas. And I want to I'm here to say that this book, The Failure of Natural Theology makes some really substantial points and um now and I, but I want to divide the substantial points that really need to be answered and I want to say this as someone who is not a Thomist I, I've read uh, I've read a considerable amount of Thomas but I'm by no means an expert in Thomas and I and I want to sort of avoid what I think happened to Johnson here where um 
you're critiquing Thomas Aquinas and you don't understand Thomas Aquinas, you're, you're, you're in over your head. You're, um, you're picking up issues that are not, uh, you're way out of your pay grade, uh, Johnson, go away. Now, uh, as I'm reading this, uh, I'm reading this book, The Failure of Natural Theology by Johnson. Uh, he makes a sharp, sharp distinction, which can be understood and grasped by someone who's never read a word of Thomas Aquinas. Uh, and that is the distinction between natural theology and natural revelation. Okay, natural theology and natural revelation. Now, wh- what do I mean? Well, um, natural revelation. So every, everybody who believes, uh, well, let me back up. This is not a debate between people who think that the world can tell us something about God and other people who think that only the Bible can tell us about God. Because if we go to the Bible alone to tell us about God, one of the things the Bible tells us is that uh, nature declares his handiwork, um, that the majesty of God is revealed, Romans 1 says, through the things that have been made. So everyone agrees that there is such a thing as natural revelation. But what does Johnson mean when he distinguishes natural theology from natural revelation? When uh, when you have uh, when you are the recipient of natural revelation, the God who reveals Himself through natural revelation is the true God, the true God. Um, if you are dealing with a uh, the God revealed by natural theology then you're not going to come up with, at the end of the process, obeying the strict rules of philosophical inference, you're not going to come up with the triune God of Scripture. Now, Thomas Aquinas would grant that and say that um, special revelation in Scripture fills out, uh, you know, fills out what we learn uh, from natural theology. Um, but it's like Johnson wants natural revelation and special revelation to be placed on top of one another, uh, like an overlay. And, um, and Thomas wants special revelation to be sort of an extension that you put on your extension ladder. Um, the natural theology takes you thus far, and then you stop. And then if you want to keep going, then you keep going, right? You, get, you have to go to the Bible to get the extra, to get the extra. Um, but Johnson does a good job, I think, of showing that given the rules of natural theology, if you're, if you're assuming that God's not talking in the world, God's not actively revealing himself, and, and you're just out there discovering what you can by your own unaided reason, what you can figure out about God, then you're going to come up with a deficient God, a, her, a heretical God. So, if you're interested in natural theology, if you're interested in natural law, if you're interested in natural revelation and the relationship of all these things to special revelation, then I think that one of the books you need to put in your queue is The Failure of Natural Theology by Johnson. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support this channel and the work of Canon Press, join up at Canon Plus. Just click the link in the show notes, create an account, and have a look around.